If you were shackled in chains and constrained, what would you say? What would you do? Or how would you feel? Perhaps you would be upset with God for allowing such a thing to happen to you. Or perhaps you would feel discouraged. Maybe you'd spend a portion of your time in tears, wishing, hoping, praying for your situation to get better. Maybe you would abandon prayers altogether. Or maybe, like Paul, you would use that time writing letters of encouragement to loved ones. The book of Philippians is known as a prison epistle. It is one of four letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison, along with letters to churches in Ephesus, Colossae, and a personal letter to a friend named Philemon. Philippians was written as a thank you to the young church in Philippi, which, Paul, which sent Paul a gift while he was in prison. In Acts chapter 16, verse 9, we learn that Paul had a vision in which he saw a man from Macedonia, Greece, pleading with him to come and help them. It was there that Paul decided to leave Asia, where he had been spreading the good news, and travel to Europe to preach the word of God there. Philippi was the first European city to hear the gospel of Christ from the apostle. And it is there in Philippi that we find the story of the first European convert, Lydia, a businesswoman and seller of fine cloths. As you can imagine then, the church in Philippi held a special place in Paul's heart. Philippians, if you've ever had a chance to read it through, is filled with messages of love and hope, along with joy. In fact, joy is the key word in Philippians. Throughout the letter, joy and other similar forms, such as rejoice and glad, are found at least 15 times in the four chapters. One of these instances is found in verse four of chapter four. And thank you for reading our scripture today, Natasha. Philippians four, verse four reads, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. This is an important command from Paul because he has already expressed this in verse one of chapter three. It might seem bizarre for a person in prison to be writing such exuberant words, but here Paul provides us with an example that our attitudes, our inward thoughts and feelings don't necessarily have to reflect our external situation. Neither does our external situation have to dictate our internal attitude. Paul's use of the word always indicates that this is a continuous state, not a conditional one, not one dependent on what is going on in our lives. Now, I have a friend who has been in prison for a few years, and over the, over the years that he's been in prison, we've exchanged a few letters. And each time I write, I provide a brief summary with what's going on in my life, update him on how our classmates are doing, maybe talk about some social or political commentary. And I send him words of encouragement. Now, the first time I reached out to him, I didn't know in what state he was emotionally or spiritually, but I soon found out in the response in his letters. 
and I want to read you an excerpt from a couple of letters that I've received from him. He writes, I get a little discouraged at times, and I feel like God has forgotten about me, but I hold on because I believe that God won't let me down. I hope this letter finds you in good spirits, and I hope everything is good out there. In another letter, he writes, I know everything is up to God, so please pray for me. To be honest, I get very depressed at times, but I feel in my heart that God will make a way to honor the prayers of my loved ones. Despite his situation, despite the despondency and the seeming hopelessness, the loneliness that he may be feeling, he chooses to maintain a hopeful and optimistic outlook. His situation is in no means ideal. And every time I find myself in a situation that seems bleak, I remember that I am not in chains. I'm not constrained like Paul was or like my friend is. And if they can choose to possess a positive outlook, if they can choose to rejoice despite their external circumstances, then so can I and so can you. After Paul encourages the members of the church in Philippi to rejoice, he follows up in verse 6 by saying, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. When I read that verse, I can't think, I can't help but think of how difficult it is in my own life sometimes to adhere to this admonition. I wonder to myself, how closely even Paul was able to follow his own admonition. I mean, it's impossible to have lived a life that he lived free of worry or anxiety, right? Just listen to this list of what Paul endured as found in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 23 to 28. Are there servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my own concern for the churches. How is it possible to experience all those events and still find joy, still find peace, still find the will to pray, believe, and even encourage others as Paul did? Paul isn't saying that we will never experience worry or care. In fact, the reason he writes this is because he knows that this is first nature to us, to be consumed with our current situation and to hone in on what is going wrong or what's not right within our current circumstances. Instead, we, bring, we are to bring our requests and thanksgivings to God. Now, having worked in the field of social and organizational psychology for a few years, 
It was common to study or be involved in projects related to positive psychology, such as the relationship between thoughts and feelings and behaviors. Now, one such study um, within the field of positive psychology provides interesting insights on positive feelings and the impact that it has on a person's behavior. So during an experiment, they had five groups of individuals, and these five groups of individuals were shown various film clips. The first two groups saw film clips that were positive or elicited positive feelings, of feelings such as joy and contentment. The third group was the control group, or the group that saw images that were neutral and produced no significant emotion. And the last two groups were shown clips that created feelings of fear and anger. After the participants watched the films, each was asked to imagine him or herself in a situation where similar feelings would arise and to write down what they would do. Each participant was handed a piece of paper with 20 blank lines and they were to start the phrase with, I would like to, based on how they were feeling. Participants who saw images of fear and anger wrote down the fewest responses. Meanwhile, the participants who saw images of joy and contentment wrote down a significantly higher number of actions that they would take, even when compared to the neutral group. In other words, experiencing positive emotions like joy broadens the possibilities in life. It opens our minds and allows us to see a multitude of options that wouldn't otherwise be observed in a state of fear or anger or other similar negative emotion. Paul's understanding and thinking was clearly centuries ahead of the, um, the emerging research in this new field of study, as he reminds the young church struggling financially in Philippi to be joyful and worry not. Why? Because being joyful opens our minds so that we can see all the possibilities that God has for us. It negates self-destructive thoughts and actions that manifest themselves in us because we limit ourselves and see only what is and not what could be if we place our trust in Christ. Now Paul closes his final brief exhortation with stating things that we must think of, rather what we must do to live a life of joy and peace. In verse eight of Philippians four, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, if you've been following along in our, um, the adult Sabbath school quarterly, you know that this quarter we've been learning more about Paul and his letter to the church in Galatia. And one of the things that's interesting to me about Paul is his sensitivity to his audiences and the recipients of his messages. Now, the above virtues in verse eight of Philippians four were common to the culture of the people that Paul wrote to. And he used these terms as a frame of reference for relating to their culture. Notice the pairing of the virtues are such that one is a duty and the other is a fulfillment or expression of that duty. 
Your translation may be a little different from mine, but I'll just review them again. One who holds her duties to be true will be noble or honest. One who is righteous or just will be pure. One who is lovely will be admirable and of good report. And of course, we know that excellence is followed by praise. Thoughts convert into actions, and actions convert into character. And character helps to shape the final destination in our lives. We cannot achieve this joy on our own. Many people spend hundreds, thousands, even millions of dollars in the pursuit of happiness or further in the pursuit of joy. But a joyful and virtuous life cannot be found apart from God. Now I wanna spend some time talking to the children in our audience this morning. Um, on your way out, children, I have prepared, um, along with Anna Gallagher, thank you for your help, I've prepared some crafts for you to take home on Philippians 4, verse 8. But I want to hear from you before I close, children, what are some of the things that make you happy? I'm going to come around for a couple minutes, and I want to hear from you. I think Hannah is going to be... My first, okay, Hannah is looking a little shy. How about Sarah? Sarah, what are some of the things that make you happy? Um, the things that make me happy is um, my two dogs. Your two dogs make you happy. All right, I like that. It's, oh, I see a hand. What are some of the things that make you happy? Friends. Friends. Books. Okay, friends and books. All right, I like that. Oh, I see some hands over. Oh, okay, here's, what makes you happy? See Paul. Oh, seeing Paul makes you happy? <laughs> All right, oh, let's get your brother as well. Jesus. Jesus makes you happy, that's very good. Jesus is the source of our happiness and of our joy, so I'm glad to hear that. All right, let's hear from a few of you. I like reading, and I like to learn about Jesus Christ. All right. My wonderful family, brother, and my mom and dad, and what these wonderful friends. Friends and family. Friends and family. Now, I have with me a, a $100 bill that I'd like to give away. And I would like to give this bill to Perna right here. How do you feel that now that I've given you that bill? Um. <laughs> She's a little in disbelief right now. Do you feel happy that you have received this $100 bill? Yes. How are you going to spend it? Um, buy things that are educational. Okay. <laughs> now I feel really bad for taking the bill away from you. <laughs> How do you feel now that I have just yanked the bill from you? Sad. Sad? <laughs> Sad, sure. There are situations in life where we may experience happiness, momentary happiness, but can we still be joyful in those situations? <laughs> can we still be joyful in situations where I pull money from poor children? We can be happy in these situations. Joy is something 
something a little different. It doesn't come from the exterior. It comes from within, right? It comes from Jesus Christ, and he's the one that fills us with true joy. Maybe something bad may happen, and now you're sad, but throughout that situation, you can still be joyful because joy comes from God. As Jeff mentioned during this week's Bible, uh, Bible school, we learned that God's love is a free gift. We learned that God's love changes us and that God's love is always with us. We learned that his love saves us and is worth sharing. And I'd like to add one more theme as we close out the week. God's love brings us joy. We aren't promised life without hassles and hardship. That wasn't the intent. However, when we are able to focus on what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, when we're able to think on these things, when we're able to act on these things, when we're able to put worry aside, then we will experience the peace of God that passes all understanding, and then we will experience true joy.